Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood, written by John Dawson. It is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Heard in this week's cast were Lucille Meredith, Betty Lou Gerson, John Stevenson, Bob Bruce, Victor Perrin, Tony Barrett, and Herb Ellis. Musical supervision by Amerigo Marino. Be sure to join us on Monday night, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, Roy Rowan speaking. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. This is Don Taylor down at Tri-State, Johnny. Hello, Don. Happy New Year. Belated, of course. Same to you, Johnny. Listen, would you like to come over to my office and meet a pretty girl? Sure. Is she interesting? Very. As a matter of fact, she just told me the most interesting thing I've ever heard. Oh, what's that? She just told me that she was dead. Tonight, and every weekday night, Bob Bailey in the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Tri-State Insurance Underwriters International Building, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the McLean matter. Expense account item one, one buck, cab fare to the International Building in Don Taylor's office. He was sitting behind his desk when I walked in, talking to a tall, dark-haired girl in her late 20s who was standing casually looking out the window at the street below. She was pretty, she was quiet, and she was well-dressed. Hello, Johnny. Thanks for coming right over. I'd like to have you meet Mrs. McLean. How do you do? Hello. Sit down, Johnny. Make yourself comfortable. Uh, take my desk. Uh-huh. Where are you going? I'm going to let Mrs. McLean talk to you alone. She has a most unusual story. Yeah, something about being dead, isn't that what you said? Yes, yes, something about being dead. Mrs. McLean, Mr. Dollar will be handling this matter for Tri-State... I wish you'd tell him exactly what you've just told me. Uh, ring the buzzer when you're through, Johnny. Oh, sure. Sure. Um, <clears throat> would you like to sit down? He thinks I'm crazy. That's what he thinks. Well, isn't it? <laughs> well, I doubt that. Well, uh, sit down. Let's talk it over. Of course he does. It's the first I've told it to anybody. It's fantastic. What did he say your name was? Johnny Dollar. Dollar. What do you do? I'm an insurance investigator. Oh. For him? For anybody who hires me. Here. Try one of these, Mrs. McLean. Thank you. I suppose I'll be put in jail, don't you? Look, Mrs. McLean, why don't you try to tell me some of the facts about, uh, well, about whatever it is? The facts are, I'm legally dead, Mr. Dollar. And my husband collected on my insurance policy. Mm-hmm. When did all this happen? Two years ago in Los Angeles. How much money did your husband collect on your insurance policy? $10,000. Where is your husband? In Los Angeles. I suppose you'd tell me how it worked, Mrs. McLean. My husband's a doctor, Mr. Dollar. His name's Dave McLean. One night he had a patient come in, a girl. Oh, she was in pretty bad shape. She'd been drinking somewhere, and she just came in off the street saw his shingle outside the office. I was there helping Dave as a receptionist. Oh. Dave took her into one of the examining rooms to see what the matter was. She had a heart attack. She died on the table. Well, there was nothing he could do for her. 
Nothing anybody could do for her. Mm -hmm. She died on the table, and then what? Dave came out and told me what had happened. We looked in her purse to find out who she was and where she lived. There wasn't anything but an address in Jersey City. No Los Angeles address? No. Her name was Teresa Corbett. She was from Jersey City, and that's all. Then what? Well, Dave called long distance to the place in Jersey City. It was an apartment. He talked to the manager there. I see. Go on. Well, uh, well, Dave didn't say anything about Teresa Corbett being dead. He, well, he didn't have a chance, really. The, the manager was very upset. He told Dave that Teresa's mother had died very suddenly two days before. He said he'd been trying to locate her there in Los Angeles. Oh, he was very frantic. Well, Go on. It, it was just one of those crazy things. The, the apartment house manager was just about out of his mind. Teresa's mother had died in one of his apartments on his premises... He himself had, had assumed responsibility for the body. He didn't know what to do about a funeral or, or anything else. He told Dave that Teresa was all the old woman had in the world. Nobody else. And Teresa Corbett was dead in your office at the time? Yes. Well, Dave hung up. I, I didn't know what he was thinking at first. And, and then he said to me, we're in luck. Mm. I asked him what he meant by that and... And he said that the girl who had died in our office didn't have anyone in the world and no one would know the difference. Then he told me we'd use her body. Just like that, huh? Yeah, just like that. He said it was the chance of a lifetime. Well, go on. Well, Dave called up Dr. Reed. He had an office across the hall from Dave. Waited a while and... And then I hid when Dr. Reed came in. Dave told him that I had had a heart attack. He took him back in the examining room and showed him the body of Teresa Corbett and told Dr. Reed it was me. It was awful. What do you mean? Well, I mean, I, I hid there in the back office and listened to them talk. They tried oxygen on the girl and shots and everything else. But it was too late. Dave knew it was too late. But, well... Dr. Reed signed my death certificate. Two days later, they buried Teresa Corbett under my name. And then what did you do? Well, I, I took a hotel room that first night, and then I went down to Palm Springs. Dave said he'd meet oh, me there. Oh, wait a minute. Dr. Reed had the office across from your husband's? Yes. Well, didn't this Dr. Reed know you? Hadn't he seen you around? You said you were acting as a receptionist for your husband. I, I'd never met Dr. Reed. He, he was just new. Okay. So you went to Palm Springs? Yes. After the funeral, Dave came down and he said I'd have to disappear for a while. To give him the time to collect the insurance money and straighten out some things. He collected the money? Yes. Yes, he did. All of it. Then what happened? I came to New York to live. Dave was going to close his practice in Los Angeles and come to New York and we'd be together again. He never met me in New York. Do you know why he never met you in New York? No. Did he write to you? Yes, for a while. For about three months after I left. He wrote me once or twice a week and, and said that he'd be in New York any day. And then he stopped writing. Do you have any of those letters? No. No, I'm sorry, I, I don't. Do you know why he stopped writing to you? No. I have no way of finding out. I, I couldn't call anyone in Los Angeles and ask them to look into it for me, could I? Tell me, uh... What is it you feel now, Mrs. McLean? What? Well, just what is it you want us to do? What? 
I don't know. What do you do in, in a case like this? I've never had a case like this. Why did you come to us? Well, I... I've had this thing on my mind almost two years. It was wrong to begin with. It's wrong now. I suppose it's because this insurance company was wronged mostly. My, my husband and I cheated them out of $10,000. At least my husband did. What about this Dr. And, Reed? Well, he didn't have anything to do with it. I, I mean, he just signed the death certificate, but he didn't know the difference. You sure about that? Quite sure about that. I don't want to get anyone into trouble. I, I mean anyone. Including Dr. Reed. Yes. Well, I... I know how, how fantastic all of this must sound, but... But it's the truth. Do you think I'm crazy? You don't look crazy to me. What's the saying? What saying? Oh, something about how you can leave home, but eventually you have to come back to count the spoons. I guess that's what I'm doing now. Telling you all this. Mm-hmm. It's good to tell it to someone after all this time. Did you get any of the insurance money, Mrs. McLean? Not a dime. Were you supposed to? I suppose so, yes. If Dave had met me... Would you say the whole thing was his idea? Yes. Yes, I would. I didn't know what he had in mind that night after he hung up the phone. You've been living in New York for the last couple of years since it happened, is that right? Yes. 2257th Street. Apartment 23. What have you been doing? How do you live? I've been working. I took a job in a medical lab. Under your own name? No. I used the name of Patricia Kennedy. Is there any way you can prove you're actually Doris McLean? I could in Los Angeles. How? People there know me. Friends I've had all my life. Were you ever fingerprinted there? No, I... I don't think so. During the war, did you work in a defense plant, maybe? No. How about a California driver's license? I don't drive, no. Would you be willing to furnish me with a list of names of people who might be able to identify you? People in... in Los Angeles? Yeah, sure, anywhere. Well, yes. Yes, I would, if... if it's necessary. It's necessary. Don't you believe me? All of this has to be checked, Mrs. McLean. Now, what was the reason for trying to cheat the insurance company? Dave was badly in debt. He, oh, he needed so many things. That, well, it, it seemed a good way to, to get them without too much trouble. You mean burying a girl named Teresa Corbett under your name? Yes. A girl without any family anywhere, with a mother who died two days before. Yes. Very few people in this world are without somebody somewhere, Mrs. McLean. Teresa Corbett didn't have anybody, Mr. Dollar. I know that. Do you know any more about her than what the apartment house manager said on the telephone to your husband? No. Do you remember the name of the apartment house manager in Jersey City? No. The address? No. Is there anything else you'd like to tell me about all this? Well, I... I can't think of anything. No. Before I ask Mr. Taylor to come back in here, I want to ask you again, why did you come to the insurance company? What? Why did you come here to Hartford to the insurance company? You asked me that once, and I told you. The insurance company were the people that were wrong. Now look, obviously, you've been living and working in New York and getting along. No one knows anything about this. There was no need for anyone to know anything about it. No need for us to know about it. Now, you'll pardon me, but you don't seem like the type of person who wakes up one morning with a big pain in the conscience. Not at all. Now, you sat here and told me about your husband, how your husband thought of the idea, how your husband hung up the phone, how your husband called in a Dr. Reed to sign a death certificate, how, how your Dollar, husband handled every detail, all of it. Not you, Mrs. McLean, your husband. He's the one you want us to get, isn't he? Yes. He didn't have to meet me in New York once he got his hands on that money. He didn't have to do anything about me. I was dead on paper. And I couldn't go back. 
I buy a Los Angeles newspaper now and then, and I saw a notice yesterday that he's going to get married again. I see. But I'm still his wife. He tricked me. You helped him to do it. Who is he going to marry there? I didn't recognize her name. How old are you? I'll be 30 next June. I'm going to ask you something else, Mrs. McLean. Have you ever been in trouble before? No. Well, you're in trouble now if all this is true. Well, it is true. Now, Would I just told you... Would you be willing to sign that... a statement in front of witnesses containing all the information you've given me here today? Yes. Yes, I would. Okay. Yeah, Johnny? You can phone your legal department, Don. Mrs. McLean is willing to make a statement regarding this whole matter. All right. Mrs. McLean, you can make your statement in front of Mr. Taylor and whatever witnesses he wants to use. I'll see you in about an hour or so, Don. Good. You're, you're all through with me? No, there's one more thing, Mrs. McLean. Do you realize that if what you've told me is true, both you and your husband will be criminally charged? Well, yes. Yes, I realize that. Oh, I... Johnny, for heaven's sake, oh, you're trying to scare us. I just Johnny. wanted that part understood. I'll see you. Uh, Johnny, wait a minute. Don't worry. I'll be around. Plenty. Here's our star to tell you about tomorrow's intriguing episode of this week's story. Tomorrow, some well-thought-out lies. Well, believe it or not, they come true. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by John Dawson. It is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Be sure to join us tomorrow night, same time and station, for the next exciting episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, Roy Rowan speaking. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Deller. Don Taylor. What do we do about Doris McLean? Find out if she's telling the truth about being legally dead and having her husband collect her insurance, Don? No, no, Johnny. I mean right now. You can't press any charges against her or him until we get some facts. Well, she gave us a statement admitting everything. Can't we file charges on that? Uh, I'd rather not. Huh? Why? Oh, just a feeling. Call it a hunch if you like. Now, wait a minute. Don, I don't think she's told us the truth. Tonight, and every weekday night, Bob Bailey in the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Tri-State Insurance Underwriters International Building, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the McLean matter. A dead girl who was very much alive. Expense account, item two, five dollars. Lunch at a little place called the Copper Kettle for myself and Don Taylor. I think we should act, Johnny. Yeah, well, I don't. Not yet. Look, I listened to her whole story. You listened only a part of it, so get this. She was married to a doctor in Los Angeles, Dr. David McLean. Yeah, yeah. One night, two years ago, a girl named Teresa Corbett walked into his office, a little drunk and a little sick. She had a heart attack. She died. The doctor found a name and a Jersey City address in the girl's purse. He called up the New Jersey address, and an apartment house manager told him the girl's mother, her only living relative, died two days before. Dr. McLean hangs up and tells his wife he'll bury the other girl under her name and collect the insurance. No sense in going into all this, Johnny. Now, wait a minute. Doris McLean agreed to this. Her husband calls in another doctor and has the death certified. Doris McLean goes to New York. Her husband collects the insurance. But didn't meet her in New York, as he said he would. Two years ago, this happened, Don. Today, she comes in and says, I'm tired of waiting for him. We cheated you. Do something to us. She also said she'd rather notice that her husband's going to marry some other girl. Makes sense to me. Yeah, well, not to me, Don. At least not all of it. Why? Why not? What are you looking for? The holes. The holes. And there are plenty of them, Don. Look, for one reason, she told it the same way both times. For the second reason... If all this happened on the spur of the moment, in Los Angeles, that is, the girl came into the doctor's office off the street and died suddenly, why would the doctor bother to call New Jersey? Why wouldn't he call the Los Angeles police, for instance? Because he had the insurance thing in mind? Well, what do you think? Now, look, Johnny, I think you're pushing too hard in here. I'm trying to tell you what we're up against. All we have to do is verify our story. Yeah, well, there's something cockeyed in the way it comes out. According to Mrs. McLean's statement, the doctor thought of the insurance trick as he went along. That is, after he called Jersey City and found out the dead girl in his office had no one else in the world because her mother had died a couple of days before. After he saw he had a good chance. Yeah? He wouldn't have known he had a chance to pull the trick if he'd done what he was supposed to do and called the Los Angeles police. Yes, but... Now, that's important. And look, here's another thing. Mrs. McLean says she was acting as receptionist in his office when this strange girl came in. I don't know about you, but every receptionist I've ever seen in a doctor's office will ask you your name and address before you see the doctor. Mrs. McLean didn't do that uh, at all. But... They'll get your name and address unless they already know it. Where's Mrs. McLean now? Over at the New Hartford Hotel. I asked Sam Benson to keep an eye on her until we file charges and take her into custody. Well, then you can call him off. Now, look here, Johnny. Every word she has told us will have to be verified before we can take any action like that. Every word. I don't know whether I want you to handle this or not. It's okay with me. Either way, Don. Now, wait, Johnny. Want some more coffee? No, thanks. Let's not argue anymore. Okay, let's not. Mrs. McLean admitted she helped her husband cheat us out of $10,000. We've got that on paper. Look here. I made a check on the policy. We issued a straight-life policy on Doris Mary McLean in Los Angeles, April 23rd, 1945. According to our records, Mrs. McLean passed away February 1st, 1954. Yeah, yeah. Claim was filed by the beneficiary, husband, David Earl McLean, M.D., February 4th, and paid off on the 10th. $10,000 full claim. Here you are. Uh-huh. Uh, that's a photo stand of the death certificate attached. Yeah. Cause coronary thrombosis. And look at that signature. 
Dr. Willis Reed. That's the same doctor she said her husband called in. I know, I know. What else? Business about her living and working in New York in a medical lab. And this is the name of the place. Mm-hmm. She said she'd use the name of Patricia Kennedy. Well, I put in a call to their personnel manager. and described Mrs. McLean to him, and he said that sounded like her. Checked out. They'd been with him almost two years. Well, that's about it. Well, I call the airport, and they'll get me out to Los Angeles by tomorrow morning. Thought it'd take a few hours in New York to check some other things out. Joe, that looks pretty definite to me, especially with her statement and all the things she said. So what have you got to worry about, Johnny? All the things she didn't say. Expense account item three, $38.14. Transportation, Hartford, Connecticut, to New York, New York. I checked my bag at Idlewild and took the limousine in as far as the Waldorf. Expense account item four, $3, cab fare and tip. Number 22, 57th Street. Doris McLean's residence, where she'd lived as Patricia Kennedy, apartment 23. I talked to the manager. This is her apartment, Mr. Dollar. I see. How long has she lived here? Moved in, uh, two years ago next month, uh, March 1954. Good tenant? Very quiet. Ever talk to her? Not much. Christmas time, we had a drink together down in my apartment uh, with my wife. First time I knew she worked in a medical laboratory. Mm-hmm. Does she have any friends in the building that I could talk to? Not that I know about. She keeps to herself, minds her own business. May I ask where she is now? In Hartford, Connecticut, at the New Hartford Hotel, if you want to talk to her about anything. I might want to talk to her about you. So? You knock on my door and say you're an insurance investigator and you want to look at her apartment. I saw your credentials and all that, but I don't know about you now. She asked me to investigate a matter. This is part of the investigation. Well, if you feel any better, why don't you telephone her long distance, tell her I'm here, I'll pay the charges. Oh, that's okay. Do you mind if I look around? I'll have to stay with you, Mr. Dollar. An hour later, I located a Mr. Platt at the Hyde Park Laboratories where Doris McLean had been working using the name Patricia Kennedy. His answers concerning her conduct, habits, and attitude were identical with those of the apartment house manager. I talked to three people who had been working with her in the lab. Same result. Expense account item five, $2.25. Long-distance phone call to Don Taylor in Hartford. Yeah? What'd you find out, Johnny? All clear here. Her story checks out about living in New York. I talked to the coroner's office in Jersey City. Oh, According to their records, a Constance May Corbett, age 61, died there January 27th, 1954. Body unclaimed. County buried her. Coroner's office unable to locate the next of kin, a daughter, Teresa Mary Corbett, believed living in Los Angeles. Well? Well, what do you want me to say? Coincidence or not, this part of it all checks out. Yeah, I'll admit that. Thank you. You're welcome. Expense account item six, $113.65, transportation, New York to Los Angeles. We landed at International Airport in a heavy fog at 8.35 in the morning. By 9.35, I was in my room at the Statler Hotel sleeping. At 4 o'clock in the afternoon, I got up and showered and shaved and had something to eat. There was a special delivery airmail folder for me at the desk from Don Taylor. It contained a flash picture of Doris McLean, a sample of her fingerprints and handwriting, along with the names and addresses of several people in Los Angeles Mrs. McLean thought might be able to identify her. 
Expense account item seven, 50 bucks. Deposit on a rented car to get around Los Angeles. The first three addresses furnished by Mrs. McLean were blanks. No one home or whoever had been there had moved a long time ago. It was beginning to get dark by the time I got to the fourth one, an address on Barendo Street in Hollywood. Hello? Hello, I'm looking for Pauline Henderson. What do you want? I want to talk to her for a minute. My name's Johnny Dollar. Well, I'm Pauline Henderson. Oh, may I come in? What's your business? I'm an insurance investigator. Well, I don't have any insurance, and I don't want any. Well, it's about a case. Uh, wait a minute, I'll put on a roll. Yeah, sure. Hope you aren't going to try to talk me into buying an annuity or something like that. No, no, nothing like that, Miss Henderson. Oh, all right. Johnny Dollar, huh? Yeah, that's right. Insurance investigated, you say? Yes. Come in. I thought maybe you could help me. Well, I'll try. I'm in something of a hurry. Only take a minute, Miss Henderson. I'd like to have you look at this. Mm. Have you ever seen the woman in that picture before, Miss Henderson? She looks terribly familiar. Is the light all right? Yeah, I can see it. My Lord, yes, I know her. Who is she? Well, that was Doris McLean. You're positive. Yeah, she was married to Dave McLean. He's a doctor here in Los Angeles. She died a year or so ago, very suddenly. Yes, so I understand. How well did you know Mrs. McLean, Miss Henderson? Oh, we were friends. I mean, we worked together in a medical lab here before she married Dave. How long did you know her? Five or six years. What is all this? Just wanted to make sure this was Mrs. McLean. My pictures of her are I. Yes. You know, I don't think you've been exactly telling me the truth. <laughs> Well, I just had your name on a list, Miss Henderson. I was told that you might be able to recognize a picture of Doris McLean if you saw one. Who told you that? I'd rather not say. My, so mysterious. Well, I don't mean to be. You look nice enough. Is that all you want to know? Yes. Uh, well, one more thing. When did you hear about Mrs. McLean's death? The day after it happened. I read about it in the paper. It was quite a shock. Doris was always so healthy. How, uh... How did Dr. McLean take it? What? How did her husband take her death? Looking at a picture and saying yes and no is one thing. I, I wish you'd tell me what this is all about. Let's say I wanted to make sure this was Doris McLean, and I wanted to make sure she died two years ago. If I'm any authority, you can be sure of it. How about the other part? Dave McLean? Yeah. Well, he got over it, I suppose. Don't you know? Well, I haven't seen him since the funeral. What's your name again? Johnny Dollar. Where do you live? Hartford, Connecticut. I'm at the Stafford Hotel here right now. Why? It just occurred to me, if you wanted someone to look at the picture and identify it, you'd go to Dave McLean and ask him. After all, he was married to her. You'd go to him. I would. Yeah. you go to him before anybody else. I think I'll call him and tell him about you. What do you think of that? That's all right with me, Miss Henderson. <laughs> Expense account item eight, $3.15. Long-distance phone call, Los Angeles to Hartford. John Taylor. Hi, Johnny Dollar. Doris McLean still at the New Hartford Hotel? Yeah, why? Better call your private eye pal, Sam Benson, and tell him to keep an eye on her 24 hours a day. Huh? What are you talking about? The cat's getting out of the bag here. What? I could be wrong, Don. But if I'm right, somebody might want to kill her.
Now, here's our star to tell you about tomorrow's intriguing episode of this week's story. Tomorrow, a bit of information about a girl who had a date to die. That's right. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by John Dawson, it is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Be sure to join us tomorrow night, same time and station, for the next exciting episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Roy Rowan speaking. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. This is the desk, Mr. Dollar. Your number's ringing now. Good. Hello? Hello. I want to talk to Dr. McLean. Who's calling, please? I'm not a patient. I just want to talk to him. This is Dr. McLean. I'm Johnny Dollar. I'm from Hartford, Connecticut. I want to see you. What about? About life and death, Doctor. Must be drunk, whoever you are. Do I come to your office or do I meet you? You come to my office, I'll call the police. Get busy then, I'm on my way. Tonight and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Tri-State Insurance Underwriters International Building, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the McLean matter. Expense account item 10, $4, gasoline for my rented car. I was in the filling station at the Statler Hotel having it filled up when George Riley stepped out from the lobby entrance. Hey, Dollar. Huh, Riley. I came down here to see you. What about what do you think? What about? All right, get in. I got to thinking after you left me today about my girl, Terry. Then you know what happened? No. The police came to see me. They told me practically the same thing you did. They said they were getting up a court order to exhume the body. Her body, they don't know for sure yet. They'll have a job making the identification. My girl, Dollar. Yeah, you mentioned that. We both know it'll be her, don't we? Sure we do. 
They have to go through with all this legal stuff, huh? This has to be right. That has to be right before they can do anything. That's right. Yeah. Hey, where are you driving? Around the block. Dollar, you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to get my hands on the bird or put it down on the ground that way with somebody else's name. He was a doctor, wasn't he? That's what it looks like. Doctor who? You'll find out soon enough. Uh, let me ask you something. How would you feel if you got the kind of news I got today, huh? You'd feel pretty lousy. Well, I feel pretty lousy. I was going to marry Teresa Corbett a couple of years ago. I built her a nice house on a hill, and she disappeared. Just walked out. Yesterday, you come in, and you say she didn't walk out. She walked into a doctor's office one night and had a heart attack. You say this doctor gave her another name, his wife's name. He buried her and collected some insurance. And that's how she disappeared. Now, what about me? Huh? They came around to see me after she disappeared. They came around a lot asking questions. And now they think they found her. You and me know they found her, don't we? Yeah, I guess we do. I spent two years waiting to find her, and now she's dead. Why is she dead? I can't answer that yet. But this doctor, he can't answer it, can he? He took her and buried her under another name, just took her like she was some sort of clay doll, something used and something no one wanted anymore. Took her and buried her, and that was supposed to be that. Now, what's his name? Riley, you better go home for a while. Yeah, sure. I'll phone you later. Dollar. She wasn't any clay doll. She wasn't something you'd give a phony name to and put in the ground. She was what I loved and wanted and needed. Did she walk into his office and die with her heart trouble, or did it happen another way? I don't know. You got ideas? I don't know, I don't know. Dollar, you gonna find out? Yes. If you don't find out, I will. I stayed right there and watched George Riley lurch across the street and hail a cab. Then I turned back and found the freeway, rode it out to Sunset and all the way to the Pacific Palisades in the office of David E. McLean, M.D. Come in, Mr. Dollar. Sit down, sit down. He was a tall, broad-shouldered man in his early 30s. I shook hands with him and sat down. Well, that was a pretty startling telephone call, Mr. Dollar. I confess I was intrigued by it. You said you'd call the police. Well, I didn't. I don't know why I said that, really. <laughs> Tell me, what is on your mind? I'm an insurance investigator, Doctor. Or didn't a woman named Pauline Henderson call you and tell you I was in town? Pauline Henderson? Pauline Henderson. I don't believe that A I... friend of your wife's, Doctor, an old friend who worked with her once. The kind of a woman who would recognize a picture if she saw it. I don't believe I remember her. Then she didn't call you and tell you I was in town. Well, that's all right, too. She said she might do that, though. Don't you want to know why, Doctor? Well, I suppose so. Yes. Why? Because I went over to see this Pauline Henderson the night I got in. She was one on a list of names of people who might know your wife on sight. Oh? She got kind of upset about my going there and asking her questions. I don't blame her. I'm a stranger to her. She finally said she'd tell you about it. I said, go ahead and tell you. And so? 
You just don't have any questions about anything, do you? <laughs> I'm completely baffled by this whole thing. What's your point? Don't you really know why I'm here, Dr. McLean? I haven't the least idea, but I can't tell you we're wasting a lot of time. This is a nice office, Doctor. How long have you been here? A year or so. Why? Starting out, it costs quite a bit of money for equipment like this. Rental in a building like this, doesn't it? I don't think that's any concern of yours, Mr. Dollar. I do wish that you'd say what you have to say or do what you have to do and get it over with. Hmm? I don't know whether you're so anxious at that. Try me. I've been pretty patient with you. You come here and talk about a lot of vague things that I have no connection with at all. You make a strange phone call. You appear as though you're trying to intimidate me. You mention an old friend of my wife's... Pauline and... Henderson. Yes. What has she got to do with it? Nothing, really, except possibly as a witness. Oh? Witness to what? To an identification. She said she might call you. She was worried about an investigation I'm handling. What investigation is that? I understand you once treated a patient named Teresa Corbett. Teresa Corbett? Last treatment two years ago, February 1954. I had offices over in Hollywood in 1954. Are you quite sure that you have the right doctor? I am. Well, I don't remember a patient by that name. What did I treat her for? A heart condition. Oh? Well, we'll soon find out. Corbett, eh? Teresa Corbett. Uh, when was this now? February 1954. I don't have anyone by that name in my files, Mr. Dollar, but it must be important if you came all the way to Hartford to ask about it. It's pretty important. Well, she might have come in for some little thing. In that case, I wouldn't necessarily have a history on her. I understand she came to see you quite a few times. Could it have been another, Dr. McLean? It was you. Well, that's funny. Oh, now, wait a minute. Two years ago... My wife was my receptionist then. She wasn't too good at keeping records. Do you suppose I could talk to her and ask her? My wife is dead, Mr. Dollar. Oh. Sorry I can't be of more help. I thought every doctor kept a record of all his patients if they just came in with a nosebleed. Well, now you see that you're wrong. <sighs> now that we've gone through all this, let's get down to business. What do you mean by that? I'll come right out and say it, doctor. You should have kept a file on Teresa Corbett. You should have kept that one above all things. The fact that you don't have one is going to make me believe a lot of things I haven't really believed up until now. What things? What are you talking I'm about? I'm talking to you about your wife, who isn't dead at all. What? Four days ago, she came to me in Hartford, Connecticut. She said that Teresa Corbett died in your office one night and that you identified the body as your wife's. What And what's you... more, you collected $10,000 worth of life insurance on her. Here's a picture of the woman who gave me that statement. Is this your wife? Well? All right, I'll tell you. It is your wife, Doris McLean. And she's still very much alive. And the story she told me in Hartford is pretty much the truth. I've never seen the woman in that picture in my life. I ran into one person here in Los Angeles who recognized her right away. I've got a list of eight more people who'd probably recognize her. I can go to every one of them and get their statements to that effect, but I don't think I need to. I've got a pretty long statement from Doris McLean herself. It tells the whole story. Would you like to read it? No. Then maybe you'd like to make a statement yourself. I have nothing to say, Mr. Dollar. I didn't think you would, Doctor. On the strength of the evidence already assembled, I preferred charges against Dr. David McLean. He was taken into custody and arraigned for defrauding an insurance company. He refused to talk at the arraignment and afterwards when he was held in the city jail. 
Expense account item 11, $2.20 telegram. I wired Hartford advising Don Taylor of the events in Los Angeles. The following morning, I received an answer from him to the effect that he was bringing Doris McLean to Los Angeles. That should have made the case complete. That and the fact that the coroner's office had exhumed the body and it had been identified as Teresa Corbin. What now? Oh, I thought we could talk. We can't, so that's that. We have your wife's statement how the whole thing worked. The coroner's man identified the body of Teresa Corbin. So? Your wife will be here tomorrow sometime. Her testimony will cinch it. Will it? You know it will. I want a statement from you. (laughs) Look, we aren't in a courtroom now, McLean, but we will be. It'll be a tough case from top to bottom, but we'll get you and we'll get you good. A statement from you right now might save you some trouble. Save you two years in your sentence. Oh, you're here to give me a break. I'm here because my job says I'm supposed to be here. I wouldn't want to save you anything, brother. The longer they send you up, the better I'm going to like it. But I'm not going to push too hard for a statement from you. I'm just giving you the chance to have you say so right now and suggest that you go into court with a guilty plea. It's up to you. You know something? You'll never get me into a courtroom. Expense account item 12, 10 cents, one morning newspaper, which carried a complete story of the McLean case as well as the information that Dr. McLean had denied all charges and was freed on bail. That, along with his remark about not appearing in court, worried me. An hour later, I was out in the Palisades looking for a San Vincent home address. It happened to be a two-story building, but I didn't get up to his apartment soon enough. Hold it! Stop! Riley. You don't have to worry about your doctor friend anymore. You fool, you crazy fool. The court would have taken care of him. No. I wanted to do it personally. Oh, Riley. For my girl, Johnny. (laughs) For my girl. Here's our star to tell you about the final intriguing episode of this week's story. Tomorrow, a brand new, a rather startling statement from Mrs. McLean, without lies. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood, written by John Dawson. It is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Be sure to join us tomorrow night, same time and station, for the next exciting episode of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, Roy Rowan speaking.
From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Deller. Johnny Don Taylor. Are you here in L.A.? With Mrs. McLean. Why didn't you meet my plane? Dr. McLean's been shot. What? Teresa Corbett's boyfriend, a guy named Riley, pumped three slugs in him this afternoon. He was afraid McLean might get off. McLean's still alive? He's hanging on, but they don't give him much of a chance. I'm on my way to the hospital right now, L.A. General. Meet you there. Tonight and every weekday night, Bob Bailey in the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Tri-State Insurance Underwriters International Building, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the McLean matter. Expense account item 13, $10, rental, for a tape recording machine which I took with me to the hospital room of Dave McLean. Don Taylor met me in the hall. Hi. Hi. Where's Mrs. McLean? I turned her over to the police. Do you know about this? No. Who's this man, Riley? Oh, just a lonely guy who lost his girlfriend. Let's go. Wait a minute. There's something else, isn't there, Johnny? Oh, I don't know. I think there is, Don. I'm going to try to get it from McLean now. That's why I brought this thing. What'll happen to Riley? He's being held for assault with a deadly weapon intent to kill. If McLean dies, it'll be changed to murder. Mr. Dollar? Yes? You can go in now. This is Mr. Taylor. I'd like him to come in, too. It's all right. This way, please. The nurse led us down to the end of the hallway and into McLean's room. Transfusion equipment was rigged up on one side of him and intravenous on the other. He watched us walk in without a word until he saw me set up the recording equipment. What do you think that's for? You, McLean. That statement we were talking about. What statement? You know how bad off you are. It doesn't make any difference now. Who's this man? My name's Taylor. Police. I'm with Tri-State Underwriters. Oh. You must be a close friend of Doris's. She came out here with him, McLean. How is Doris these days? She's made her statement. <laughs> Squeeze play. How about you? Nah. I'm not going to say a thing. Oh, now, McLean. Tell you what I'll do. We'll talk about it later. Huh? There may not be a later. I think there will be. <coughs> I'm going to bet on it that way. Stuffed out. You struck out again. There's always your wife. She won't tell you anymore. She's got her own troubles. <coughs> I think you'd better leave now, Mr. Dollar. Yeah. McLean's chances for recovery were one in ten. That isn't very good odds. But as he said, he was going to bet on himself. And he won. Three days later, he took a turn for the better. Within a week, he was walking around the hospital. The trial date was set for him to answer charges of defrauding an insurance company. Mrs. McLean was named co-defendant. All set. When do you take off, Don? About five minutes. Good night for flying. Yeah. Well, what's the matter, John? Oh, I don't know. This whole case, the people in it, I, I just don't know. You ought to be satisfied. You've certainly done your job. McLean's are going to stand trial, and there's no doubt they'll be convicted. You testify in court, and that's about it. I know. Don... Yeah? There's more to it. 
What? I know there is. There has to be. McLean's slick enough not to open his mouth. He hasn't admitted anything. His wife's done all the talking. Sure, that's true. But what she said was enough for us. Was it? Well, wasn't it? Not for me, Don. Johnny, what is it? <sighs> Riley, I suppose, and that poor girl, Teresa Corbett. A couple of little people walked into it. Riley's suffering worse than the McLean's. Then they'll suffer. He lost somebody he loved. She died naturally. He would have lost her sooner or later. McLean's had nothing to do with that. Didn't they? No. Well, I've been thinking about it. Just go in and testify in court and come home and try to forget about it, will you? Maybe you're right. Flight 913, Chicago, New York, and well, Boston now boarding. See in a few days, Johnny. Okay. Bye. One thing, Don. Yeah? Suppose Go Teresa Boston. Corbett had been my girl. So long, kid. John Taylor went back to Hartford and left me to wrap up the details and testify in court. The day before the trial, I went over to the county jail to interview Mrs. McLean just once more. Hello. Hello. The uniform isn't too attractive, but they say it's a very healthy life in here. I mean, the regular hours and all. I suppose I should try to get used to it. Yeah. How long will I have to go to prison? Well, that's hard to say exactly, Mrs. McLean. Well, my lawyer said not over three years if they convict us. Three years isn't too long. No. Sit down. Where's my husband? Uh, where's Dave? He was transferred to the county jail today. Is he all right? Seems to be getting along fine. I haven't seen him, you know. You'll see him in court. Oh, I wish it were all over. So do I. But it isn't, is it? Practically. Not at all. Well, what do you mean? So far, we have enough evidence to prove conspiracy against you and your husband, and we'll prosecute to the limit on that. There'll be some other charges against him, the business with the body and so on. Let's not go into that now. But there's something else here I want to get straightened out. This is your statement. Yes. Let me read you this. A girl, whom we later found out to be Teresa Corbett, walked into the office on the night of February 1st, 1954, and complained of feeling ill. She had been drinking... My husband took her into the examining room where she died a few minutes later of a heart condition. Those are your own words on this sworn statement, Mrs. McLean. Yes. Let me go on. I had never seen or heard of Teresa Corbett until that night. I was with my husband when he placed a call to her residence in Jersey City. He spoke with a man there who managed an apartment house and so on. Mrs. McLean, that call was never made. I was in the room when Dave made it. The phone company has no record of it, no bill for it. I mention this to you because we are going to mention it at the trial tomorrow. You have my statement. Are you trying to make a liar out of me? The fact remains that call wasn't made. Were you in the examining room when Teresa Corbett died? No, I was in the front office. Isn't it a fact that she was a patient of your husband's before that night? No. I found out, I'll tell you. Teresa Corbett was one of your husband's patients. Why, she... She came here to live in Los Angeles because of a heart condition she had. He was the doctor she went to see. She just didn't walk in that night and drop dead. If that's true, I didn't know it. That night you said you were acting as a receptionist in your husband's office. When Teresa Corbett walked in, she must have given you her name when she asked to see the doctor. Well, she didn't. Frankly, I, I thought she was just a little drunk. She, she'd been drinking. I, I could smell it. And you just took her right on back to your husband without asking a name, where she lived, anything about her? Yes. Now, look, Mrs. McLean, a lot of things you've told me and put into this statement are true. They've all been checked and rechecked. That's my job. But some of them just don't make sense. What are you trying to do? You wouldn't have known anything about it if I hadn't come to the insurance company. Maybe that's so. Maybe it would have just gotten by. But you did come to us. And whether you knew it or not, we have to know everything now. 
Everything, Mrs. McLean. Why do you think we've gone to all the trouble and expense of checking all this? I'll tell you. Because your story was too good to be real. It couldn't happen that way, even though the facts seem to say it could. A girl alone and friendless in Los Angeles, dying of a heart attack in a doctor's office. A doctor who needs money and has a wife who's heavily insured. That's too much for me to take. Teresa Corbett was a patient of your husband. She had been for several months. She came in like anybody else. You or your husband took her personal history. And you noticed that she had only one living relative, a mother in Jersey City. Will you please tell me what you're talking about? I'm talking about premeditated, carefully planned murder. That's what I'm talking about. When Teresa Corbett's mother died suddenly, there was nobody left to worry about her. Nobody to ask questions about her anymore, right? That's what you thought, anyhow. But there was a man, George Riley. But he didn't know where to go or who to ask. You didn't know about him. All right. Teresa came in several times, and you and your husband got to know more about her. She was the patsy right from the beginning. Wasn't she? Wasn't she? Yes. Do you want to tell me about it? She had been in to see Dave several times. He knew all about her, where she was from, what family she had. That night, when she came in the office, she wasn't drunk. She hadn't even been drinking. She'd had a telegram. She, she'd just received word that her mother had died suddenly. She was terribly upset about it. She, she asked Dave for something to help her sleep. Go on. Well, he took her in the examination room and came out a few minutes later to get some drugs, and, and he said something about her case being a terminal. Terminal? You mean it was hopeless? Well, that's what he said. He said he didn't give her more than six months. It wasn't true, Mr. Dollar. She wasn't that sick. Then what? Well, Dave went back to the examination room. I, I just sat there and waited. I guess I knew what he had in mind. Had you talked about it? Well, we talked... Oh, no, not about what happened then. A few minutes later, he, he buzzed me to come back to the room. I went back there, and Teresa was lying on the table. She was dead. Uh-huh. I knew it when I walked in there. Dave looked very strange. He said that she had had a sudden heart attack and died before he could do anything to help her. You know it wasn't so. Well, there was a hypodermic on the stand. He'd given her something. I just didn't think he'd go that far. Are you sure you hadn't discussed this before? No. I swear he hadn't said a word to me before that night. But he had it all planned. That is what to do and everything when I came back to the room. He called Dr. Reed. Dave showed him Teresa and said it was me. Reed signed the death certificates? Yes. When did you leave town? The same night. Dave made me. He said he'd handle everything. I accused him of killing her, and, and he said that she just died there. Well, I guess I was kind of hysterical, but... But then he said, all right, I did kill her. She didn't have long anyhow. I killed her and you helped me kill her. Now get out of here and stay out of here. If you ever open your mouth about it, you'll go to the gas chamber with me. Do you want a cigarette? Yes, please. Here you go. Thanks. I told you that story. I mean about the phone call and all. To get back at him. I never thought that I'd tell you this part, too. Oh, I'm glad I did. I'm glad it's all over. (laughs) 
Expense account item 14, $85.40, hotel and board while in Los Angeles. Item 15, $205, plane fare back to Hartford. Expense account total, $798.60. Remarks? Murder charges have been filed against the McLeans, and they stand trial next month. George Riley received three years and a suspended sentence for assault with a deadly weapon. I was wrong about practically everything in this case. All the lies came true, but so did the facts. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Remember, there'll be another intriguing story for you beginning next Monday night. Next week, cui bono. That's Latin for who benefits. And believe me, it isn't the killer in the case. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood, written by John Dawson. It is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Heard in this week's cast were Lucille Meredith, Betty Lou Gerson, John Stevenson, Bob Bruce, Victor Perrin, Tony Barrett, and Herb Ellis. Musical supervision by Amerigo Marino. Be sure to join us on Monday night, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, Roy Rowan speaking. (laughs) 